This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you win? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18+, plus. rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to another edition of Chelsea Fancast, my Chelsea, and uh, I'm very, very delighted. And actually, I, I owe him a, a massive apology because uh, not only was he on the list uh, to do them in the you know the original series we did in lockdown, uh, but uh, he had actually bothered to do the homework that I sent him and sent it to me. And of course, I completely ignored it, like the spanner that I am. So it's an apology to him, first of all, and. Uh, it is the absolutely delightful Kelvin Barker, also known as the Shepherd's Bush Maldini. Yes, that's the one, the Shepherd's Bush Maldini. Nothing to do with my football, just my looks. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's those flowing locks, Kelv. That's what it is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Come on, seriously, why, why the Shepherd's Bush Maldini? Because I, 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 I know I spoke to you about your book the other week, and uh, I forgot to ask you then. So you have to tell us why the Shepherd's Bush Maldini. Well, actually, I won't say because the story of the Shepherd's Bush Maldini is in the um, Tales from the Shed book. Which so it is. is. Book. Yeah, so I would say if people haven't read or heard the story yet, then they should buy the book. It's all in there. Very good. Yeah, that's a good point. I completely forgot that in my stupidity, and it is. And uh, that's also a good, good, uh, good way of getting a plug in for that absolutely fantastic book. Uh, now, you know, people who haven't listened to this before, I can't believe that there are people who haven't listened to this before. I'm obviously Stanford Chidge. I do the Chelsea Fancast with some absolutely wonderful people and reprobates. And uh, when we got bored in lockdown with bugger all football to talk about, I thought, what could we do? And I thought, I know, let's go and ask some of the mates that I have. Mainly, actually, it, was, it started off with the fancasters. I thought it'd be fun for people to know a little bit about how we how we started supporting this wonderful football club. And obviously, I've extended that out to more and more and more mates. And uh, and that's why we've got Kelvin on tonight. So first question, obviously, Kelv, how did you become a Chelsea supporter? Right, well... I hail actually from Northern Stock. So um, my dad's side of the family are, are, are Geordies. Um, but they came down, as quite a few Northern families did during the war. Um, so they, they came down as a family and um, settled in uh, West Kensington just before the war um, started, I think. My dad was born in 1938. I think he was a baby when they 
when they arrived in London. Um, and uh, when he started going to school, uh, him and his mate decided that they wanted to support a local football team. And they were kind of like right in the middle of Chelsea, Fulham and QPR. So um, they what they did was on, I believe it was on three consecutive weekends, they went to a game at Chelsea, a game at QPR and a game at Fulham. And uh, by the grace of God, settled on Chelsea. So, and, and he started going, um, I think around about the time that he was starting sort of secondary school. Um, actually, would that, yeah, that would be right. Yeah, because he was, he, he saw Chelsea win the league in 55. Um, so, yeah, he, he went from that sort of early period, sort of the start of the 50s through to, I think it was 1979 was his last game for 35 years. And then he came back after that. But that so that so how many how many years did he go continuously? That's quite a stint, isn't it? That's thirty yeah, years. I think, from, yeah, I think it was fifty. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was about thirty years to start with. Then he had a thirty-five year hiatus, and then decided he fancied going again. So he's been to a few games since then, only three, I think. But but yeah, he did a, a thirty-year um, stint at the start. Yeah, so I mean, it's it's. I, I I was talking to somebody the other day, actually, on a, on a, on another podcast about the fact that you know my journey into being a Chelsea supporter is is unconventional compared to most of my mates who, you know, all of whom I'm in total awe with because they all seem to have been born into it. But yours is somewhere in the middle, in a sense. I mean, you moved, you know, pretty much to the manor, and your your dad still took you, and that's the main point, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, because I mean, he, uh, he he obviously bought into it straight away, and he became sort of Chelsea straight away. It's a funny way, I guess, to decide who you want to support. But once they were in, I know they were going to games. He, I, I, he told me he used to park his bike up outside the ground and go in, and the, his bike would still be there when he came out afterwards, and he'd ride it home. Yeah. Um, and then he uh, he got a job as a milkman um, with the Express Dairies in Goldhall Road. Um, and there was a few Chelsea in there, so he started travelling um, with them to home and away games. Um, and I remember clearly as a kid the amount of times he wasn't around in the evening because he'd gone to like um, Norwich and Stoke and all these sort of far-flung places. He was one of those who went to the uh, the infamous um, League Cup semi-final at Norwich that got fogged off with about four minutes left to play. Um, and he went to the to the when it was replayed as well, but didn't help. We still got knocked out. Excellent. But, uh, yeah, he was a regular. He was he, he was he was home and away. The lottery ticket seller um, or Chelsea pools, I think it was actually. And uh, yeah, proper right into it. Yeah, nice one. And of course, he would have taken you to your first game, which was what? Yeah. So um, Newcastle on the fifth of December, nineteen seventy. We we beat them one nil. Um, I was five at the time and he took me and my brother. It was both of our first game. My brother actually would have been seven that week because his, his birthday is the 10th of December. So it would have been his seventh birthday coming up. Whether that had anything to do with it, I don't know. But he took the two of us for our first game. Um, I know that I irritated him because I was little. My, my brother was always taller than me. Um, and uh, he could see what was going on. Like we were standing on the terraces. And... Um, he could see what was going on and I couldn't. So in the end, my dad had to pick me up. But he always suffered with a bad back from being, from being a milkman for so long. And so for a little while after that, um, I weren't allowed to go. And I think I had a year or two. Um, I think it might have been about a year, to be honest, um, where he said I was too small. And then I think he just, um, in the end, got sick of me sort of 
going on about it and started taking me um, and, and, and it probably worked out well for him because I'm the one who stuck with Chelsea and my brother supported all sorts of different teams at different times. and Dis- currently Disgraceful. Them. Disgraceful. Yeah, yeah he, he don't get it. He don't get it. Um, but, but yeah, so um, I think ultimately my dad probably is quite pleased that I uh, that he, he um, gave in and let me go back. Well, I mean, not only not only uh, should he be pleased, he should be thoroughly proud of you because not only you know you're not just a fly by night, you know Chelsea supporter. You you know the books you. I mean, you know, I know that I'm totally biased because it's my favourite book. But you know, you've <laughs> written, you've written, I mean, Chelsea. You know, celery supporting Chelsea in the eighties, representing Chelsea in the eighties is is the seminal book on Chelsea in the nineteen eighties. So, if I was your dad and I was a Chelsea fan, I would be mightily proud, and I'm sure I'm sure he is, mate. So there you go. Anyway, um, yeah. do you do you remember? I mean, you know, five. I mean, that's even younger than. I mean, I remember I was taken to my first match, which of course was not a Chelsea match, um, when I was about seven, I think. And I all I remember is it being shit because it was Portsmouth and violent because it was Portsmouth. So I don't really remember much about it. But do, do you remember? <laughs> and they were in the th- it was in the third division in about 1972, mate. It was bloody horrible. Anyway, um, I mean, do you remember anything specifically at all from the first match? Funny enough, I actually remember the goal. I'm, I'm, I mean, I've seen the goal. God knows how many times since, and I've got a recording of it. Um, I've got the programme from the day. I've got the programme from the following home match. It's got the pictures from my first game, etc. But um, I, I do remember stuff about it. I, I remember the. I, I mean, I do remember being pestering my dad and, and being picked up um, to, to watch the game. I remember the goal, and when I saw it a few years later for the first time since. Um, I was kind of quite surprised at how clearly I recalled it. It was very similar to how I saw it in my mind. Um, and it was a cracking goal, actually. It was a, it was a cracking volley by um, Keith Weller. Um, but, yeah, I, I do remember going in for the first time. I remember finding it quite intimidating. Um, as I say, I was little. And, I, and I'm, until I was about 16, I was very short. Um, and so as a five-year-old, I was fairly sort of timid as well. Um, and I do remember like all the strong language and the pushing and shoving and it was very boisterous and um yeah it all sort of sticks in my mind I remember maybe it's not just from that game but I do remember the early days of walking down Fulham Road and seeing the floodlights and like they was they they just seemed massive it, everything seemed to dwarf me back in those days you know um but yeah my, my recollection of that um that first game is probably one of my best memories uh, my clearest memories of that kind of age you know, because there's, there's a hell of a lot of stuff when I was five that, you know, is gone. But um, that's something that's always stuck with me, actually. Yeah. It's funny, funny how it does. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, you were lucky enough to see, you know, what, what many would say is a, is a classic Chelsea lineup. We had Peter Bonetti in goal, Johnny Boyle, Ron Harris, John Hollins, Marvin Hinton, marvellous Marvin Hinton, Dave mm. Webb, Keith Weller, Charlie Cook, Peter Osgood, Ian Hutchinson, and Peter Houseman, which is, I think, Bar one or two notable exceptions, uh, Huddy for one. Although I know, yeah. I know, you, I know you, you've got a slightly different view on Huddy than me. <laughs> but uh, you know, barring one or two exceptions, that that is the classic nineteen seventies, nineteen seventy Chelsea yeah. side, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, I couldn't have wished for for a better lineup to start with, really. Could I? I mean, that is that's that's a quality side, and that is one that you cast your mind back to, and, and you think that's a. Um, that's that's that moment in time for the, for for the, that Dave Sexton team, and nine or ten of those players were were in that in that team 
for for the achieve when when they were achieving stuff when they were getting top three in the table and all that. They, there were some key players there, and I, I managed to see them on my first game. Yeah, so I can't complain. Absolutely right, and it's interesting. To, I, I I always like looking at the. I mean, I'm a bit geeky like like you are in this respect, but I always like looking at who was in the opposition team. That's quite a decent Newcastle side. They have got Frank Clark, Bobby Moncur. Brian Robson, uh, the bald one, not the not Captain Marvel for those for those wondering because he would have been very old by the time he played for England if that had been that Brian Robson, Win Win Davies, which I forgot completely that Win Davies played for Newcastle, great big bulking number nine uh, Welsh bloke, obviously did he play for United as well, didn't he, Win Davies, or was that Ron Davies? <laughs> oh, one one or the other did, yeah. didn't I? I think it was Ron actually. Right. Well, who was the one that played for Southampton? Ron, I yeah, think. it was Ron Davies who ended up at United. Right. Yeah, yeah, but Win Davies, there you go. Uh, and as Kel said, Chelsea won one nil. They were they were fourth in the league, League Division Football League Division One uh, at the time. And uh, Leeds, dirty Leeds, were top. And uh, I think it was Arsenal and Spurs, but above us, uh, those were the days to be a London team, really, weren't they? Um, we, yeah. we we mentioned you know quite a few few uh, of the you know what what I think the kings of the Kings Road team. I think we can kind of ubiquitously call them. Um, but who were your who were your favourite players growing up? Ian Hutchinson was my my first hero, um, proper hero, and actually by complete coincidence, I almost um, wrote his biography with his uh, ex partner after he died. Um, a friend of mine um, bumped into her at some uh, some sort of conference for mentors um, and got talking um, to her, and uh, she was. He, he mentioned he supported Chelsea and uh, her name was Elaine Thatcher. And um, she said that she was Ian Hutchinson's um, partner at the time he passed away. And that um, she was like, in, she had some notes to put together for a book. And so this was a couple of years after I'd done Celery, I think. And he, he put her in touch with me and I, and I met her and nothing ever, ever came of it actually, but it would have been quite, um, I don't know, it would have been, almost like the stars were aligning there, my first hero. And and then I'm, I get this opportunity to, to write the book. Um, when I see you, actually, you should tell me a, a, something I can't go public on about about him, actually. Um, so I'll tell you that one when I see you in person. But yeah, I think there would have been a few stories in there. She wanted it to be a book um, to make some money to give to his son. Um, but as I say, we, ne- we never got anywhere with it in the end anyway. But um, but. Yeah, I, I, I digress anyway. He was my first hero. Um, and um, there was a guy called Peter Feely as well, who I can only assume scored a goal in one of the first games I went to. Um, and I took to him for that reason. I can't imagine it was anything else. But briefly, I, it was like Ian Hutchinson and Peter Feely were my heroes. But I stuck with with Hutchinson. And then as the as I got a bit older, as, as, as I went through sort of childhood and into sort of like into my youth, Clive Walker um, and, and Mickey Fillory, uh, I like them both. Um, I think I had a lot in common with both of them because I'm bloody lazy as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and then once we got into uh, John Neal's, um, well, with the 83-84 team, um, I think half of them I would legitimately say were, were my heroes and, um, you know, one or two of them still are, I think, really. But... Um, but yeah, yeah, they, those those kind of guys really through my sort of like early years. I'm too old for heroes now, but but those those were the ones when I was growing up. Yeah, I like that Mickey Fillory. I I have a I have a wonderful wonderful memory of Mickey Fillory. 
that has nothing to do with his performance or otherwise on the pitch. But uh, I, I went to a, a long time ago now. It was one of the. It was probably a pitch owner's dinner, or, or lunch, more to the point. And uh, you know, you know, a lot of the ex players were there. And we had a great day, drank far too much, blah, 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 blah. And then we, we, a lot of us ended up back in the butcher's hook, and uh, as did a lot of the ex-players, hoping that, of course, we would carry on buying them drinks, which, of course, we, <laughs> we dutifully did. And I, and I think I said Martin Wickham. Martin remembers this story, because not only did I, I instigate... Uh, well, Jock Finiston was there, and we were singing lots of songs to the players, and Jock was left out and looked a bit sulky, so I started the Super Jock. Well, Super Jock scores more goals than that wanker Stanley Bowles. La 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 la, which which, which he which he absolutely loved. Uh, and Martin and I are about the last to leave the pub, apart from two people, which I think was uh, it was absolutely definitely Mick Fillery and probably uh, John Johnny Bumstead. Yeah, and uh, they were absolutely shit faced, particularly Mickey. <laughs> Uh, and uh, it, it, I overheard their conversation. They were like, you know, they've got those quite high uh, bar kind of tables with, with the yeah. Mixed, yeah. They were on there, and I kind of wigged into their conversation. And Mickey was basically saying, "I, I love you, I love you, Bunners, I love you." <laughs> you know, he was such a great player, and like, we had such a great relationship. None of the others understood that. It was just the most surreal kind of thing I've ever <laughs> come across. But I have to say, it really, really. Uh, it 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 endeared them to me in a huge way. I have to say. Anyway, we as as always, we digress. You know what these bloody shows are like with me on them. Um, right. Okay. Let's get into the the meat and two veg of this. Because uh, okay, I have to say, uh, I have to say, Kelvin, that's quite a lot of matches. But I'm sorry, it's nothing compared to bloody me and who must have come out with at least fifty. So there you go. <laughs> but uh, but what are your favourite matches? Favourite matches then. Um... The Chelsea four, Liverpool two in uh, in 1978. Probably as a, I was probably just about still a kid, a little kid. Um, what would I've been twelve then? Um, that's probably the one that really stands out from sort of like my childhood. Um, it's an amazing game. Uh, obviously, they were European champions. We were in the first division at the time, but we were about fifteenth or something. I think in the table, fifteenth, sixteenth. We had a couple of players missing on the day as well. We had Mickey Joy missing, and I think um, I think. Kenny Swain and Ray Wilkins were both missing that day as well. So nobody really fancied us at all. Um, so turning them over 4-2 um, that day was amazing. That was brilliant. The atmosphere was incredible. Um, so that was, yeah, that was probably the, 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 the sort of highlight of my childhood and being able to um, go into school and, and actually brag for once because obviously around that period, didn't get that many opportunities to, to give it a big and like most of my mates were QPR fans because I've been from Shepherd's Bush and school was basically in the middle of White City Estate. So it was, I was surrounded by QPR. So they were better than us at the time. And if, if people didn't support um, QPR around there, they supported Liverpool. So for once, I could go into school and, and properly give it a big and that, that, that um, following Monday. Yeah, yeah, I like, I like um, Go on. No, sorry, no. No, I was just going to say, I mean, it, it was thinking that Frank Lampard uh, riposte to Jurgen Klopp, you know, just because you won the Premier League once doesn't mean you can give it the big one. But, yeah, uh, yeah just because... Yeah, anyway, anyway uh, what was I going to say? Yeah. They, Go on. They, they could give it the big one back in those days because they were, they were by far and away the best team in the country, so I couldn't say too much, really. Well, they were, as you said, they were Euro- European champions. Um, they were They were cup holders, too weren't they yes yeah um, no they weren't yeah. no they weren't no they weren't because united won it in 77 against them didn't they oh yes yes of course yeah, yeah. so yeah. uh but they they this was kind of the the i wouldn't say i'm not so sure if this was you know yet peak 
Paisley era Liverpool. But I'd say it was certainly the beginnings of it. I mean, their team was Clements, Neil, Joey Jones. Uh, Alan Hansen came on as a sub. Phil Thompson, Ray Kennedy, Emlyn Hughes, <laughs> Kenny Dalglish, uh, David Fairclough, Steve Highway, David Johnson. Not that one. Uh, Ian Callaghan. You know, that's a pretty decent team. That's a proper team. That yeah. I never really understood. I mean, Bob Paisley, obviously great manager, but he switched Phil Neil and Joey. Um, so Phil Neil played left back and Joey played right back. Um, and I think it's, you know, um, Joey won't mind me saying that Clive Walker ripped him a new one that day. Phil Neil um, gave away Tommy Langley's goal with an absolute shock over back yeah. pass. Yeah. And I never really understood um, why he switched them from their normal positions. But it was also Joey's last game for Liverpool, even though he had some sub appearances after that. He was sub for their European Cup final at the end of that season. Um he actually got substituted in the second half. And he he, he, um, he, he was telling me that he went off and he, he had the right ump about being substituted and, and had the ump more than anything about the way they were playing. Um, Bob Paisley flung a um, tracksuit top at him to put on. And he said he was he was so huffy and he was like struggling to get it on. It was a tight and that. And he said, in the end, he pulled his arm through it so hard and he punched Paisley in the face by the dagger. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. I mean, just to emphasize what you were saying, we were definitely, uh, as you said, uh, um, Kenny Swain was missing and Mickey Droy. So we were Peter Bonetti, Graham Wilkins, John yeah. Sparrow, Ian Britton, Ron Harris, Steve Wicks, Bill Garner, Ray Lewington, Tommy Langley, Charlie Cook. St- uh, Steve Finneson came on for, for Charlie Cook on 34. Did Charlie get injured? Uh, do you know what? I think he actually went off sort of like um fatigued really I think it was i think it was that tiredness yeah after 34 so, minutes yeah yeah i think he was really struggling i could be wrong but that's my recollection of it was he wasn't actually injured he was just struggling wow and, and yeah well that, that was actually charlie cook's last appearance for chelsea which i i forgot completely uh clive well, clive walker was the number 11 and uh you know walker got two goals the first one was just astonishing. He just wallops it in from about 25 yards and it swerves and Clements just stood there watching it go in. Uh, I mean, I, re- I, I wasn't there, but I, re- I mean, this is this was probably the match that really... I mean, having I went to the Stamford Bridge in, in 76 to weirdly see the semi-final uh, between uh, Palace and Southampton. Dad took mm. me to that. <clears throat> I kind of fell in love with the ground and started watching Chelsea quite vicariously on, on the big match, as you did. This was the match that really got me into Chelsea, I think, because it was uh, it was um, it was on it was on match of the day, I think, and uh, and it was just an astonishing match. I mean, we as you said, we ripped Liverpool a new one. We were three 0 up before yeah. uh, before Don- Johnson scored, uh, and then four one up five minutes later, and we just played them off the park. And Walker was astonishing that day. I don't think he ever had a better game for Chelsea, really. No, I don't think so. I think that was the one where he introduced himself. And, um, you know, I remember as, as a kid, like watching that and walking away thinking, right, we've, we've got a player who's going to be an England international, he's going to be this, that and the other. You know, I got completely carried away by all. He was an instant hero to me after that after that game. Um, and But, yeah, I mean, like even players like Bill Garner, I mean, he was a, a plodder, wasn't he? Bill Garner, just a, just a plodder. He was in and out of the team. But, he sort of bullied and, and terrorised them and everybody stepped up that day. Everybody, Graham Wilkins had a good game. They all they all put, put a bit in and, you know, to do that without Ray Wilkins as well, uh, our best player by an absolute mile, 
Um, it was it was it was a great result. It was a great performance, um, but it all obviously went exactly the way it always went with Chelsea back then. So beat Liverpool, then we thrashed Burnley in the next round and put six past them, and then we lost to Orient. You know, and it was that was that was Chelsea back then, wasn't it? It, it was it was indeed, and uh, you know, I mean, they, we did it again, didn't we? With uh, we got knocked out by Palace in in seventy six when we had hopes yeah. of. Uh, of <clears throat> doing quite well and oh Chelsea we, would, we wouldn't have it any other way so um the, the next uh favorite game you got down here Kelv is 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 a league game Chelsea 6 Newcastle nil in 1980 um I mean I can understand in in some respects why this would have uh would have got a nod from you but I suspect there's a lot more to it than just the 6 nil right I think it was just like it was a it's it's one of those that's a little bit of a forgotten classic because it was it was um, that team. It wasn't the if, if if that had been played and you know that game was on match of the day this the six nil um, and if that had been from the Dixon Speedy era the the eighty three eighty four team it would be recognised I think as an absolute classic of the decade classic of that era but I think it gets overlooked a little bit. I mean obviously it's that little bit further away as well. So you know you, you know. You've got to be a certain age to remember it now but um i just remember it being an incredible performance we that autumn of 1980 which preceded the whole five months where we only scored in three games and all that business um was it that 19 out of our last 22 games we didn't manage to score um and last away goal for the, in the league that season was scored in november but that autumn that led up to that, we played some amazing football. We were really, really good. And that Newcastle game sort of kind of, that was where it peaked, I think. And Phil Driver was was playing on the right wing and he was pretty much an unknown recent signing. And he was he tore them apart down there. Peter Rose Brown was doing it on the left. Colin Lee got a hat trick. And then Gary Chivers scored the uh, the fifth goal, which was which came second in goal of the season. And we ended up finishing the game with 10 men because um, Johnny Bumstead got, got a knock. And rather than risk him, we just played with 10 men because we'd already bought the sub on. And I, I actually just had this random memory of it as well, that I was going to hospital the next day um, in, in Charing Cross. And um, at that time, Match of the Day was being shown on Sunday afternoons. So like, my mum took me to the hospital and... Um, they, they gave me my bed and all the rest of it. And it was like only when I laugh, you know, I had to get my pyjamas on and all that sort of business. And then they had the TV room back in those days. So I went into the TV room and there was a few blokes in there and, and uh, I sat in there as well and said, could we watch Match of the Day? And I was like, yeah, yeah, put it on, put it on. And it was the, the Chelsea-Newcastle game that was on. And I was like king of the castle. I was proper giving it the big and like, I was there, you know, I was there yesterday. <laughs> you know, and this sort of thing, you know, it always sticks in my mind. I felt so proud of myself. <laughs> they, they probably give it a toss, let's be honest. But yeah. Yeah. it would have be, been funny if they were Newcastle fans. But <laughs> yeah. but uh, no, I mean it's it, it it's uh yeah it, it it's 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 funny, you know. I I I've talked about this game. Would you believe with, with Gary Chivers, who um mm. you know obviously remembers it uh, for the amazing. I mean, he he basically started the move in his own penalty area and finished it off, didn't he? That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He 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 remembers that goal very very well. Uh, it, it's actually in an interview I did with him, which is coming out shortly on the Chelsea Fancast. You'll hear it there. Uh, okay, yes. so um, I think that's a cracking match to choose, actually, particularly with a little 
It's, it's almost like doing a, another version of your book, Days I Remembered All My Life, isn't it? <laughs> it gets a mention in that in in that book actually that that game yeah yeah exactly and that story yeah exactly that so there we go all right now funnily enough we've got another um i mean it's do you know it's funny actually calv even before i'd seen this i, I wouldn't have picked the newcastle game i've got to be right. honest but i would have picked this one the what the, the chelsea liverpool 4-2 and one two three four of the next ones so there you yeah. go you're nothing if not consistent <laughs> mate or predictable. There is that. Anyway, what what is what was not predictable in any way, shape, or form was the result uh, of the game uh, between Chelsea and Liverpool in the FA Cup in 1982. Am I right? Yeah, yeah, and 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 I think that that one um, is another forgotten classic, a bit like the the, the Newcastle game. Everybody remembers the four two. Yeah. Everyone sort of harks back to that one. Um, can picture the goals, you know, seen it a million times on telly. This one doesn't get shown so often, although um, one channel did actually show it. I think it was BT Sport showed it uh, a year or two back. They showed the highlights of it. But actually, this was a better result than the um, than the first one, simply because we were a mid-table second division team at the time, and they were European champions. And I can't remember the team off the top of my head, but I think it, we're talking about Ian Rush, Graham Souness, Hanson, Lawrenson. Grobbler. It was Phil Neal was there because he uh, gave us another goal in that game as well. And and again, like you know, this this was a proper proper Liverpool team. But you had Colin Lee absolutely bashing those two centre halves to pieces. Um, we had uh, Mickey Droy taking care of Ian Rush, um, and uh, Steve Francis in goal, seventeen years of age, uh, and repelling anything that they. They could throw at him, and, and it was just uh, on Colin Pates um, getting a better of Sunes in midfield as well, man marking him and, and taking him out of the game. So you know, people stepped up to that, and and there was forty two thousand in the ground. Atmosphere was amazing. It was it was a funny one because it was one of those you, you had to be in like an hour before kickoff to be sure you were going to get in the ground. So I was in the shed. I was in the middle uh, middle of the shed watching the ground fill up. Um, and it just got livelier and livelier to the point that the teams were about to come out. And then all the Chelsea went into the Liverpool end and it was kicking off in there like, like no one's business. And the teams came out onto the pitch um, and the ref immediately told them to get back off, off again. But you see all the ball boys, but the ball boys had, had lined up, like giving like a, like almost like a guard of honour as the teams came on. And so the ref said, go back off. The teams went back into the tunnel, but the ball boys carried on lined up watching the fight in North Stand. <laughs> 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 Brilliant. But we beat them and we beat them fair and square and that was a, a real feather in our cap but again um, having done that we, we lost to Spurs didn't we albeit we, we gave them a game we did give Spurs a decent game and they were obviously much much better than us at that time well, we, we, lost, um, we lost a hodl really didn't we yeah yeah he was he was top class and, and the other scrote Hazard as well actually yeah. played really well that day yeah. Um, but yeah they were you know we, we, we had our our, our glory at half time after Fillory scored that free kick but uh, it wasn't going to last was it really it wasn't I, I I have you absolutely spot on 100% about that the, the fact it's it's a shame isn't it because this is never remembered whereas the you know the 4-2 everybody everybody remembers that one and yet this was far you're right this was a much much better result we were in the second division as you said I mean our, our team was Steve Francis Gary Locke Chris Hutchings Mike uh, Mickey Nutton Mickey Droy, Colin Pates, Peter Rhodes Brown, Kevin Hales, bloody hell, mm. uh, Colin Lee, Clive Walker, and Mick Fillery. 
Um, and I mean, we beat them 2-0. Rosie scored on uh, eight minutes and Colin Lee on 84. We we didn't even have to bring on Alan Mays, who was the sub that day. That's just as well, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but you were right. You were right. Grobelar, Neil, Lawrenson, Kennedy, Ronnie Whelan, Hanson, Kenny Dalgleish, Sammy Lee, Ian Rush, Terry McDermott and uh, Graham Souness. I think, you see, that is for me. This is peak Liverpool, peak Paisley. They were at the peak of their powers at this period. That's a great team, isn't it? It is a great, a great team. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the that that's for me, is the classic early 80s Liverpool lineup when they were just cuffing everybody. It's interesting, mm. you know, because like, like Gary Chivers in the in the Newcastle match, I interviewed Colin Pates with the good old Martin King a few years ago, and, and Colin Pates was, is hilarious on what Sooner said to him during, <laughs> at, during and after that match. But like you and your Tells the Shepherd, I'm not going to say what you said. You're going to have to listen to it when I re-release it very soon. But there you go. Um, a great memory, though. Um, right. Next one is, uh, I mean, this is an absolute, I mean, you, you've tagged this one of the happiest days of your life. Uh, Jonathan K- uh, Kidd is going moist when he hears this. Chelsea 5, Leeds nil, 1984. Yeah, I've got goosebumps. As soon as you read that out, I've got goosebumps. That day was just incredible. Absolutely incredible. Um I mean, it was, it was, that season was the best season ever in my eyes. We'll never, ever be beaten. Obviously now I'm 57 or nearly 57. I'm not going to get a, a better season um, in my life. that's going to be, that's going to mean as much to me as that one did. But to come from where we were the season before, our lowest ever finish, um, that season obviously kicked off with Derby being beaten 5-0 unexpectedly when they were amongst the favourites to, to get promoted. And it just never really took a dive. I mean, we had a slightly dodgy December, but um, there was just so much happened that season. And for the, the the promotion to then be sealed, I mean, we went down to Portsmouth on the Tuesday night, the night the Tuesday night before that. And if we won, we were promoted. Um, and obviously, like we were two 0 up, and and then blew that, and and it and drew two two. And at the time, sort of like felt a bit gutted, but. With hindsight, it was the best thing that could have happened because that to, to do leads, you know, dirty leads, five nil um, for promotion. Um, that I was just amazing. It was a fantastic day. The weather was fantastic. The team were fantastic. The fans were fantastic. Um, yeah, it was just brilliant. Kerry's hat trick was right up there amongst the best I've seen. Um, Mickey Thomas opened the scoring with an absolute belting goal. Um, ran into the fans and had his um, chain nicked off of him. Um, so obviously we had some scousers in with us, no doubt that day. Um, I've never seen Cannaville's goal, the fifth one, because I was uh, lined up around the side of the pitch, ready to run on at the end of the game when he scored it. So never seen that one. But it was just a fantastic day, that one. Brilliant. Yeah, it was indeed. And I mean, there's a, there's a, um, a brilliant um, Hugh Hastings photograph of the shed end on that day, which... I I I'm sure it was this game. I know it was this game, but I I got Hugh. Well, I, I found out. I found the photograph from one of the picture libraries. I found out it was Hugh who took it. So I phoned up Hugh and said, "Look, I want to I want a copy of this photograph because I'm, I'm going to give it to a mate for his fiftieth. I'm going to get it framed and give it to a mate for his fiftieth because he's in there somewhere." And uh, and Hugh, being Hugh and a big Chelsea fan, I kind of knew Hugh anyway. He said, "Yeah, yeah, no worries, mate. I, I, I'll." You know, you don't have to get it from the library. I'll send you a copy. So he sent me a copy, and I got it framed up. And it was it was my present to Marco for his fiftieth. And uh, uh, we, we all we all all the all the people who were in the fan cast at the time signed it. 
on the back, you know. So it's a lovely touch because of course he was in there somewhere, and yeah. he he loves this match too. But it was an absolutely another great great memory. And and Kerry's hat trick, as you said, was absolutely fantastic, wasn't it? Yeah, it was amazing. Um, one of his goals again because it wasn't on telly. Bizarrely, a, a fixture like that didn't get on telly. Um, but one of his goals where he uh, he got the ball on the left of the, the penalty area and he was getting pushed out, he was getting pushed backwards and getting pushed across the uh, across the box. So he, he ended up on the right-hand side and just span on the on, on the ball and then just chipped it back the way he'd come um, over David Harvey's head and into the corner. It was a fantastic goal. I mean, I, you know, I, Kerry scored some good goals um, and, he, and he scored some proper sort of strikers goals, you know, two-yard punts and, and 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 all sorts of goals. But I think that is up there amongst his very best goals. He did, well, didn't well, he? He scored some really, I mean, you know, deft, what I would call deft goals. Mm, you know, as the ch- this was one. Sorry, go on, mate, go on. This, this was one of them. I mean, the, 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 the way he... Um, the way he was getting pushed that that and then he just like literally just stopped dead and 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 chipped the ball back over the over the keeper was it was i mean it put it this way if maradona had scored it we'd never stop hearing about it it was so good indeed 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 and you're right it's such a a, a momentous time because of course the following match was the was that was the friday night was it the friday night or up in uh, up at city yeah. it was wasn't it yeah 4th of yeah. may up at city yeah. where we won 2-0 um, that was a good as well you were there yeah, yeah, yeah. Went up for that with my mate Steve. Yeah, um, yeah. It was a there was a blinding night. It was my first time at Main Road actually, and um, a bit lively. But yes. um, we had plenty of numbers there. But I do remember being on a bus back to Manchester Piccadilly. I think it was, and um, the bricks raining down on it. But then everybody cleared off the bus and um, but basically gave chase in the pitch black to the, the city fans. Then just piled back on the bus and went to the, to the station. It was a great night, though. It was, was quality. And we were brilliant. Our fans were brilliant that night, as well as the team. And the other thing about that match, uh, you know, having scored a hat-trick against Leeds, Kerry scores another great goal uh, against City with a brilliant bit of skill uh, set, set up by Canners, which I always remember. And Pat Nevin, yeah. Pat Nevin trying to stop the Chelsea fans running on the pitch. Because this was on telly, wasn't it? It was a Friday night live match, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was. It was the first time we'd been live on a league match and it was the first time a second division match had been shown live um, on, on the telly as well. It was the first season of live uh, televised um, league football. Yeah. Um, and yeah, they, they sort of broke with tradition because when they scheduled it, uh, it looked like it was going to be between, be between us and City. Um, or, sorry, us, City and Newcastle, I think, for, for second, third and fourth. It looked like Sheffield Wednesday were going to win the league. But it looked like it was basically going to be a bit of a six-pointer. By the time the game got played, City had pretty much blown it and we'd already been promoted. But at the time it was scheduled, it looked like it was going to be a really, a really big game. So you sort of could tell of the atmosphere that night when you watch it back on, on the telly now. It's, City are quite quiet. You don't hear much much from them um, because they're, 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 you can tell that they're a bit down. They're, they, they're resigned to another season in Division 2 at that point. And then the one time they do pipe up and they start singing about Mickey Thomas's wife, um, he walks straight over to them and um, he's like gesturing to them. Um, and they all, you hear this, this sort of roar go up. And just as it happens, Pat Nevin scores his goal. And so Mickey finds himself standing right in front of the Man City fans as that goal goes. And so, you know, happy days for everybody. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Um, 
Now, the next match is, is you know, I think if I asked a random uh, poll of about 100 Chelsea supporters, they'd all say, yeah, yeah, this is probably Kelvin's favourite match of all time. So much so that he actually wrote a book about it with DJ and Marco. Uh, Chelsea here, Chelsea there. It's the legendary return uh, to Division 1. Arsenal 1, Chelsea 1 on a very sunny, beautiful 25th of August in 1984. Cheech. JK, in all the years you've been following Chelsea, you hardly ever miss a match, home or away. But how would you feel if you couldn't be there and it's not on TV? Oh, Cheech, I'd be bereft, inconsolable. The thought of missing my beloved Blue Boys live... (laughs) It's all too much. (laughs) I know, JK, I know. It's all a bit too much, isn't it? Yes. (laughs) Well, panic not. NordVPN have come to the rescue. They have? Yep, NordVPN allows us to watch any match, even if it's not on live TV here. They do? Yeah, they do. With just one click, they switch your virtual location to a country which is showing the match... And they act as your cyber bodyguard whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like card details and passwords. Oh, wow. Great. Uh, But yeah, I bet that'll cost me a fortune. Actually, JK, it's only the price of a cup of coffee per month. And you can use your account across six devices. It's a bargain, JK. And best of all, no more tears for you. Oh, thank you. Thank you, NordVPN. I'm so happy. I could cry. <laughs> Where do I sign up, Jidge? Well, to get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support the Chelsea Fancast. The link is in the podcast episode description box. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, what can you say about that one? That was another one where actually I, we, we played Sunderland two days later on the, on the bank holiday Monday and I couldn't speak because I'd lost my voice at the Arsenal game. So I was quiet at the Sunderland game. But it was just one of those days, wasn't it? You, you had to be there. It was the same place where we'd been relegated five years earlier um, and we were starting off there that season. Um, when when the fixtures came out, I don't think we could really believe our luck that we'd got Arsenal away. It was just an amazing sort of um, quirk of the computer. Um, and I think everybody, you know, thought that it would be a step too far um, for Chelsea, except for us, who'd seen that team play and knew that they weren't going to be like the previous team we'd been promoted, that this actually, this team actually had plenty about it and we knew we'd give Arsenal a game. Um, I do remember, actually, that that was the no the second time I saw um, a defender actually manage to get to grips with Pat Nevin. Clive Wilson was the first I saw in that, in that game up at... Um, Man City, the 2-0 Friday night game. Uh, Clive Wilson gave him the best game he had in the second division. And then he didn't get, Pat didn't get the better of Kenny Sampson. That was probably a 50-50 at best um, in that in that Arsenal game. But the, the fans, I mean, we were everywhere. Absolutely took liberties. We were everywhere. Um, never been reciprocated and never will be reciprocated. Um, but, you, you know, it, it, there's no getting away from it. You only got to look at the pictures from that day and you can see that Chelsea are in every part of that ground en masse. Um, 
The atmosphere was amazing and it felt like a win. It was a draw, but it felt like a win. And I would say to anybody, and I, feel, I know we've all seen it a million times actually, but anybody who hasn't seen it, look at Kerry Dixon's goal. Look at those fans behind that goal when that goal goes in and tell me you've when you've ever seen such a fantastic celebration as that. It was unbelievable on that terrace. I mean, apart from all of that, Kelv, I don't think I've ever seen a terrace so packed. I mean, the clock end is absolutely rammed, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, people were getting carried out. And I saw a couple of like biggish blokes get carried out. People were fainting because it was very hot as well. It probably was, with hindsight, another one of these dangerous terraces, yeah. actually. Um, but yeah, I was, saw plenty of people um, approaching sort of kickoff and just after kickoff who had to be taken out of, out of the ground. It, it was just heaving, wasn't it? It, it? it was a bit like Cambridge the season before where there was no room left on the terrace. So there was people, you, when you see the pictures from it, you can see the people who have climbed up the, the walls at the back and climbed up the fences and are watching it from the top defences. At Cambridge, I was watching the game sat on a revolving spike. It was just ridiculous. But it was the only place I could get on that terrace that I could actually see the game. You know, and that's, where, that's how it was back then, wasn't it? But yeah, that, that clock end probably was dangerously full that day. But <laughs> we got away with it and it was an amazing day. Well, what if you were there, you know, one never to be forgotten. Of course, uh, this this summer, now I'm just trying to think. I was about to go to London to go to university in kind of September. So, I've, of course, I, I had chosen to go to Ibiza with my girlfriend for a couple of weeks, obviously, you know, as you do. I mean, why, why would you not do that when Chelsea go back to Division 1 and play one of the matches that you probably wish you'd... Or, I mean, there are not many matches I regret not being at Kelp, but this probably is is the one actually yeah and funnily enough you saying saying that story um I, it could have been me it was in that same situation um my brother had, had been in atlanta and he'd got ill and he was coming home um from atlanta and he wanted he asked me if i my parents were away so he asked me if i would meet him at heathrow but it was that morning and i actually said sorry mate but i'm going to arsenal um and so he had to make his i think his girlfriend when actually and met him there but he, he basically had no family there when he came back and he really was quite ill but um he's still with us now so I, I i think i made the right decision i'm sure he would forgive you uh completely and and to forgive myself my girlfriend was very very fit i have to say <laughs> I, I was i was very much punching above above my weight i have to say uh, you're you're in the clear then Chidge, on that one. <laughs> fair enough she then, she then dumped me, or I dumped her, I can't remember. I actually came home early, because I can't remember who dumped who, but I, I stormed out in a wonderful kind of late teenage strop. Anyway, um, for the record, uh, Pat Jennings, Viv Anderson, Kenny Sanson, I have to say, Cal, going back to what you were saying about uh, Pat Nevin, it's hard for people to understand now when they see poor old Kenny Sampson, who's a, a, a hopeless uh, alcoholic, bless him. Um, yeah. But... Um, it's hard to, to get kids who never saw him play understand just how good he was as a left back. I mean, he was probably up there. The, the probably the only player I would I would put a put on a par with him in recent times is Ashley Cole. Yeah, same, same. I'd I'd say that he was. They were a very similar level. Yeah, he was absolutely. And you can't well, say that. No, he was world class. Anyway, so Jennings, Anderson, Sampson, Brian Talbot, David O'Leary, Tommy Cate, and Stuart Robson. Paul Davis, Paul Mariner, Tony Woodcock, Ian Allenson. I mean, that is a side full of international footballers. Uh, you know, yeah. Mariner and Woodcock, England strikers, 
Tommy Caton didn't play for England at senior level, did he? May have no, been, I don't no. think so. But he was certainly a junior level. He was highly, highly rated. David O'Leary, yeah. Brian Talbot. I mean, that's a superb side. And and we were not, we were not, I mean, we were, you know, a draw was probably a fair result, but we were not, we were not made to look, uh, you know, outclassed at all, I don't think, were no, we? No, no. I mean, Dave Jasper came into midfield because um, Johnny Bumstead was um, was injured um, and he had a really good game. He, did. He, 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 he came quite, quite close to scoring, actually, with a, a, a nice little low shot, just went past the post and, Everybody acquitted himself well, and, and obviously Doug Ruby made his debut. And there was that challenge on Viv Anderson when he put him into orbit, and we thought like we've signed a monster here. Yep. Um, obviously, we found out later that season that he, he wasn't <laughs> always going to be doing that. The, 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 the tackle on uh, Viv Anderson wasn't something that got repeated that often. There was plenty of times when he was getting a chase in and weren't getting tackles in at all. Um, but um, but everybody acquitted himself well that day. I, I thought and. Um, Tony McAndrew was on the subs bench. I don't think he got on, but that was kind of a shame, really. I know he gets some stick at Chelsea, but he was never fit at Chelsea. And um would have been nice, actually, if he'd have been able to to get a bit of a run out that day. It would indeed. Um, great segue from Rugby here, because the match that you're referring to took place in January uh, of the next year, same season, in the, in the Milk Cup in a uh, fifth-round replay, Kel. I, that's one of the matches I'm referring to where he's concerned, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, there were, actually, there were many well, more, weren't there, to be fair? There, there were. And, and <laughs> the one I was thinking of when I was saying that was actually the next time we went to North London. <laughs> the, 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 we played Spurs in around about the October or November and John Chidozzi absolutely terrorised him. I mean, it was painful to watch. And that was where it all went downhill for, for Dougie after that game because he never came back from that. But yeah, the Sheffield Wednesday one was when he gave, gave away the penalty. But again... With hindsight, it wasn't such a bad thing because then we had the second replay and, and that was an incredible night as well. And that trilogy of games, Sheffield Wednesday, was uh, fantastic. And and the old um, Shepherds Bush Maldini story actually relates to that game, um, which is a game I could write a book about on its own. Um, so much happened that, that day, but it was one where I blagged my way out of work. Um, and so I won't say too much because of the, the stories in that book, but I blagged my way out of work. I was supposed to actually playing football for my work team. Uh, so I was I was allowed to have that time, but um, I didn't play football for my work team. I got a train. I got on the special up to Sheffield with my brother and uh, my mate Steve. Um, and yeah, best decision I ever made because that game was ridiculous. 3-0 down at half-time. Uh, fans never stopped singing. Fans were, were incredible. Um, we had six or 7,000 up there at less than 48 hours notice. Um because we'd only drawn on the Monday night, the, the, the first game. And uh, yeah, Canners came on at half-time and scored within 11 seconds of the second half. And um, then he scored again with five, four or five minutes to go and, we, and put us 4-3 up. Then Rugby gave away, unnecessarily gave away, gave away the penalty and it finished 4-4 after extra time. But then a week later, they came back to us and uh, we won it with, um, well, two... The first goal in that in that two one win, uh, we were one 0 down, and then um, Speedy scored a goal that was created for him by Pat Nevin with a piece of absolute genius from him, where he lobbed the ball over the um, the Sheffield Wednesday wall at a free kick, and then caught it on the other end and managed to get a left foot crossing, and Speedy headed it in. And then in the last minute of the game, as uh, everyone was preparing for extra time, 
Mickey scored with that header, um, and uh, it was just that perfect end to that trilogy of games. They, they were they were worthy opponents back then, Sheffield Wednesday. They were a tough old team, but they were plodders as well. They were dirty, you know. They were they fancied themselves a bit, and a bit like with Leeds and Chelsea. I think I think they thought they were hard Northerners, and they had a bit too much for the Southerners. And they got caught out. They got found out by when, when they played Chelsea. You know, both both the seventies team and the the eighties team. Um, they'd they'd quite happily go toe-to-toe with them. Mm. Of course, uh, uh, Mickey Thomas did go toe-to-toe with somebody in the uh, 4-4, didn't he? He did, Andy Blair. Yeah, Andy Blair, the ex-Coventry and and, uh, Aston Villa player. Um, I always always used to make me laugh, because when you see like the Panini stickers or the photos of Andy Blair, he always looked boss-eyed. He always looked like he was cross-eyed. And um, in in this game, he was um, gobbing off in front of the left, we were all on the Leppings Lane Terrace and they, they had a corner. They were, I think they were 2 0 up at the time, it was just before half time. And um, he was gobbing off, and you could see him gobbing off. Um, and he was mouthing off to Mickey, sort of thing. And so Mickey threw that left hook, put him on his backside, and uh, the whole end went up. You'd have thought we'd scored. The whole end was like cheering, celebrating, and then singing his name. And then we sort of realized that, and, and Mickey realized no one had seen it. Like sorry, none of the officials had seen it, and Blair's flat out. You know, like Mickey straightened his eyes out for him. He's he's proper done him. Um, and um, Sheffield Wednesday players going mental. They're getting around Mickey. They're getting around the ref, and that ref asks his linesman. They ain't seen it, so just you know, play on. If they 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 start from the corner again, sort of thing. And then in the um, in the uh, players bar afterwards, um, Andy Blair had a few mates in there with him, and. Uh, he went over to Mickey um, to have a pop at him. And Mickey was with Joey and a couple of their mates from Wrexham. And um, they basically sort of, it. Um, my understanding of it, it was the, the little bit of sort of like mouthing and a little bit of pushing and shoving and it sort of got broken up. Um, but no one was taking the back step sort of thing. And um, the following week when we played in, in the, the second replay, we was back down and out of the, the teams ran out and Andy Blair's come out the tunnel, shouted over to Mickey, giving him a wave and said, like, sorry about what happened last week. And um, Joey, Joey said to Mickey, we've got no trouble with him tonight. <laughs> the arse I had gone. Yeah, as well as his eyes being straightened out. So yeah, there we go. Yeah. So maybe he straightened his arsehole out too, but uh, we'll, <laughs> I guess we'll never know. Um Right, so the last of your favourite matches. Well, no, it's not quite the last. There's 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 a couple more after this, but the next one is again, I think, uh, uh, an absolute shoe in, really, isn't it? It's the it's the cup final in 1997. Yeah, I mean that was at the time that was it was the pinnacle, wasn't it? Really, I mean, winning the league 85, 86. I thought we had a chance, um, and obviously it didn't happen. And and then it never really looked likely at any point after that we were. You know, we were mid-table for a lot, a lot of that time. Um, so it was all about winning the cup. And and I think there was also something about having that glory of that day out of Wembley because the FA Cup really meant something then, didn't it? I mean, it was it was the day that the country stopped to, to watch football. Um, and obviously we'd had the 94 experience and, and um, lost, lost that one heavily. Um, but with, by 97, we had a few sort of, Big boys in that team, didn't we? You know, we had Zola, we had Mark Hughes, we had Di Matteo, LeBerth, Wisey, um, and, and you know, we had we, we had Rude Hullet as, as manager, and they were good. They were although they'd been relegated. Borough had some big players themselves, 
um, big foreign players. Um, and, and they've been a bit unlucky, in my opinion. I thought they were a bit unlucky to be relegated as well. Um, it was a bit of a technicality, really, that they were relegated on for a game that they didn't play and that they were they had to lose points for. Um, but if ever we were going to win it, it kind of felt that was going to be the day because for all that they had, Ravinelli and Emerson and Janino, we just had the edge on. We had we probably had a couple more star players than, than they did. Um and I've always felt that we'd won it from that first minute when Di Matteo scored as well, you know, which was an incredible start to the game. And everyone always remembers we were the whole end was doing a 10 men went to Mo and like sat down and then he scored and we were all back up again. You know, it was uh, it was a mad moment like for everybody. It was just like lunacy in there. Um, but I think we kind of won it with that. And I know they 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 thought they'd equalized with a, um, the header from Fester, that every time I look at it, it looks less and less offside. Um, but even if it had been given, you kind of thought we'd have just stepped it up. We'd just gone up a gear and, and would have beaten them. We just were going to be too strong for them that day. And the celebrations at the end of that game said it all. I mean, they, they couldn't get us out of the ground. You know, those celebrations between the, 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 the players and the fans went on forever. It was, it was just it was just a fantastic day. And, and the following day as well, I was down down at the bridge with my mate Paul um, for the uh, for, for, for the uh, open-top bus. And yeah, it was fantastic. Brilliant weekend. Where did where did you see Di Matteo's goal from? Right behind him. Right was, behind, behind, behind him. Yeah. 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 yeah you could see it going moment. in. Yeah. Yeah, it just the, the moment he hit it, it looked interesting, mm. um, you know, and uh, it was just, a, but it, it was almost like beyond belief that he could have scored it that early. I remember Lisa telling me because we'd, my mate Paul, we'd stayed with them the night before, and um, then me and Paul had gone to the game, and, and and Lisa had come home with Poppy. Poppy was only little at the time, and she told me, and our next door neighbours support Chelsea as well, and she told me that she parked the car up as the game was kicking off. And then by the time she'd got to the front door, she'd heard a roar. And she said to Poppy, go in and put the telly on and tell me you've scored. And Poppy went back and said, it's Chelsea who scored. Um, but yeah, like she couldn't, he didn't even have time to get from the car to the to the front door. It was that, that quick, that goal. Um, but it was just brilliant, wasn't it? It was a brilliant day. One of the best ever, I think. And, uh, you know, really the start of uh, what we've been experiencing, you know, for the last 20 odd years or so in, in many respects, I think. Yeah, of course I screwed up yet again, uh, uh, Kelvin, by by allowing my wife to book a, a holiday. I think it was in Saint Lucia, so I was <laughs> I was in the Caribbean on a media blackout because by then um, of course, by then I knew the error of my ways. But of course the logic was simple. She booked the holiday in February, and I even though we'd beaten Liverpool, it was still I don't we're not going to win the FA Cup. We just we just yeah. don't, you know. Um, which is another good segue, really, because this is a match where um, you kind of had it confirmed back in 1992 that you were never, ever going to see Chelsea win the FA Cup. So my theory is not entirely stupid, is it? <laughs> well, sorry, I should I should just say, just my, my greatest ever game was actually the um, the first Champions League win in Munich. Um, that that actually, I, I think when I first filled this in, I actually said that, that, that the Bauer game was my best Chelsea moment, but actually Munich was. No, no, um, you did. It's me. It's me getting excited by segues and getting it completely wrong. <laughs> but no, Munich was the absolute. I mean, that that even eclipsed um, ninety seven. But there's a there's a fag wrapper in it. I mean, like there was 
very, very little in it in, uh, for me, but, but Munich will always be just the greatest night ever. Um, and it, yeah, I mean, I, I've, I think I've told that story. I told it on camera. I've, told, I've put it in, in, in the book. It was just that even Lisa accepts that it was my favourite, my best night ever. Um, you know, it was just brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that was, again, uh, it was the pinnacle post Abramovich. I, I think the FA Cup was the pinnacle pre-Abramovich. And then once he'd um, taken over, then it always felt like we should win the Champions League at some point, but we were having those close scrapes and a bit of bad luck and, you know, a bit of corruption. Um, and you start, start to think, well, is it going to ever happen? And then typical Chelsea, it happened the year that it shouldn't have happened with Billis Boris and, you know, it, it, the, the team that we had out for the final and, you know, the fact that we were losing to Barcelona with 10 men before we came back into it. And, you know, it was, it was bizarre how we did it. But, but yeah, Munich was an incredible, an incredible day and an incredible night. Really, really fantastic place, actually. Beautiful place. And a couple of years later, I actually went back with Lisa and the kids because I said, like, you've got to see Munich. So we went for a Christmas market and they got to see Marienplatz and that area. Um, yeah, lovely, lovely place. Great memory. Yeah, I mean, it, it was funny enough. I don't know if you know Kunal at all, but... Uh, By name, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Kunal is actually brilliant, brilliant bloke. He's in he's in our uh, in our pub WhatsApp group. Which, of course, as you know, we drink in the Cock Tavern. So the the WhatsApp group yeah. is known as Cock or No Cock, obviously. <laughs> and Kunal uh, was Kunal <laughs> Kunal was uh, out in Munich for the England game the other week. He's a massive England fan, and yeah. he, he goes home and away. And he posted some pictures of uh, of where he was drinking that day, and it was the Augustiner beer keller. And that's where right. I spent the day before before going up to the up to the match. So it brought back some some fantastic memories. I mean, yeah, I, I think it, it's a it, it is a hard toss up actually for many of us. But I, I'm with you absolutely 100. percent I mean, the best night of my life ever will never be repeated. Doesn't matter how many times we win it, you cannot beat the first time. I mm. sh- I shouldn't have been there. I mean, I I got I'm ridiculously lucky. Managed to get a ticket and a flight when I had no money. I mean, it's just all. all Everything about that game on and off the pitch was just ridiculously uh, unlikely and serendipitous. I mean, it's yeah. We could all write a book. We could all write uh, a book about that that game, that day and night, and it would all be completely different. But it would yeah. all have the same theme. How the hell did it happen? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know? it was incredible, wasn't it? And and it was just the most Chelsea thing ever, wasn't it? It was, wasn't it? To do it that way. Now, here's the thing. In in your little list to me, which, of course, I conveniently forgot because I went straight to Sunderland, but um, you, you actually said both Champions League finals. Now, now I know when you wrote this, and th- that would have been before we won it again. So are you yeah, talking about, you're talking about Moscow, aren't you? I am talking about Moscow, yeah. Yeah, Mem- memorable. Uh, I, think, I think the point was that it was a memorable game. Um, it's not a place I'd ever want to go back to, even regardless of what's going on in the world right now. But it was so bloody bleak over there. Um, it was grey. It was miserable, like the weather. Um, but it was Chelsea's first um, Champions League stroke European Cup final. So had to be there. Um, and yeah, it was it, it was it was memorable. I, I would imagine for the for the neutral, it was a fantastic game as well. But um, but yeah, I mean. We, we know what happened, um, but it was it was it was uh, 
it was a memorable one. Uh, I didn't get to Porto, um, but it would never have been the same as Munich. Like you say, you, you, you can't beat Munich now. No, no. Well, I think you and I can satisfy ourselves by saying that because we didn't get to Porto. But I, I mm. do, I do happen to believe it. Um, I mean, you did also say that your your best moment was winning the cup in '97, and I you're sticking with that. Yeah. No, no, I'm, you're I'm not. confused. When I said that actually because. Um, you know that's my second favourite, and I've, I've I've just had one there when I when I said that to you oh. because actually Munich is is, is the best moment yeah. for me. Okay, done. Now I now I can finally uh, talk about the uh, other side of that coin, and uh, <laughs> you know which we we were talking about. Uh, you know, never ever believing that we would see Chelsea win the FA Cup, and uh, this this is your worst Chelsea moment, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, Sunderland in um, in ninety two. Um, we were, I mean, I. I've written about it in in days, and I've been a bit more honest, more more bit more open than I normally am actually. And I was in a bad place at the time personally, um, and I was back home living with my parents um, between marriages. And um, yeah, it was uh, life wasn't going so well, but Chelsea were doing all right in the cup and keeping me sort of going, keeping my spirits up. And then we got drawn against Sunderland in the quarter final, and we were like five or six minutes away from beating them at home and. Again, typical Chelsea. We let we let a, a late equaliser go in, but still thought that we would be too strong for them up there. And actually, in many respects, we were because we absolutely battered them on the night up there. But they took the lead. Their keeper kept them in it all night long. Um, I mean, he was he was just world class that night. We eventually got the equaliser like four minutes from the end or something, and we were all sort of like preparing for extra time and an even later night getting back to London. Um, and then last minute they get that corner and uh, Andy Townsend wanders off from the post and the ball goes exactly where he was standing and and, and, and we lost 2-1. And it hurt because it was right in front of us as well and it was one of those where you sort of like, I'd, I'd love, I'd partly love, partly hate to see a photo of all our faces of that ball, as that ball hits the net because it must have been fairly, the look of horror on all our faces probably quite comical actually, but everybody had a perfect view on that terrace had that ball hit in the net. And 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 the, the truth of the matter is, no one was going to tell me that night that I would ever see Chelsea win a big trophy. I, I walked away from there thinking, it's done, it's over. I will never see Chelsea win a trophy. Not, you know, I'd seen the full Members' Cup, I'd seen the Division 2, but I was never going to see us win anything worthwhile. Um, but history tells us that I was talking bollocks. Yeah, well... <laughs> And only five years later, although I have to say, I think I think the '94 final loss was 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 up there. I think in one of those moments of I don't think we're ever going to do it, mm. you know, because that I mean we'd got even. Obviously we'd got even. I mean I, I I totally get it with the Sunderland match. That was the the pits, but there was a, I I certainly had a feeling in '94. Oh man, you know we got this close. We'd beaten United twice that season, and then it all just yeah. went absolutely tits up, and you just thought. Oof, I mean, how, how are we going to do this? You know, and then boom, you know, a couple of years later, thank you very much. So there we go. Yeah. Um, and of course, as you said about Sunderland, it's a very long way home. And you must still have memories of the Milk Cup uh, uh, yeah. debacle as well, ringing around in your heads. And that was a horrible time too, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. And it was funny, actually, because the police couldn't have been more different on the two the, the two occasions. So the first, the first occasion, um, and we all got there in really good spirits for that. Um, Milk Cup semi-final. Everyone was absolutely buzzing, and and admittedly, 
you know, you're talking about 1984, 85, you're probably talking, I think almost certainly talking about the season where um, football hooliganism in England was at, reached its absolute zenith. And in fact, it went onto the continent, as we know, in the, in the following May. But it was mad what went on that season. So I kind of can understand to a point why police forces were aggressive to renowned football clubs supporters and we were renowned for it but what happened that night went way beyond anything that could ever be considered acceptable you can you can have a bit of an iron fist but you can't be punching women you can't be pushing blokes off of pavements um and you cannot be walking a group of supporters, and, and we're talking regular supporters here, we're not talking about firm, we're talking about regular supporters, and we are talking about men, women and children. You cannot be walking them into an ambush. And that's what the Sunderland police did that night, and they were scum. Sunderland police in that night, night what was it, March 1985, February, March 1985, they were scum. And the fact that three of them got hospitalised that, that night is completely on them. Nobody else, as far as I'm concerned, if you go doing the stuff they were getting up to last night, don't squeal like a pig when it comes on top. Yeah. And I, you know, and then on the way back, and as I say, I think it was February, it was freezing cold and they put us on a train with all the windows in. All the windows had been smashed in before it got onto the platform. It was like something out of the war. It, was, it wasn't It was a modern train for the time. It was like some sort of thing that from, from, from the war. All the windows done in, no electricity no heating they knew what they were doing and that's what we had to go home in uh, all the way home and so and i wrote about this in celery when i got back to euston or wherever and i got picked up i got, I got in a cab um and the taxi driver said you come back from sunderland i said yeah he said you see trouble at the end i said i said loads of troubles and i didn't say anything particularly at the end he said there's three coppers in hospital and i said well good because that's what they deserve but then when we went back for that 92 game they were they were the complete opposite. They were our mates. They were all soft and soppy. And at the end of the game, I did see it kicking off actually. Um, and they didn't have, have a clue. They were, you know, they were absolutely sort of like, what do we do? What do we do? You know. So something had changed there. But those eighty-five ones, vile, vulgar, scum. I wonder, Kelv, if if you know everything is is a product of its time, isn't it? In a way. And if you remember, then nineteen eighty-four, the miners' strike. I think 85 was the Battle of the Beanfield down at Stonehenge, which, you know, I was still kind of, you know, at university and coming back to Hampshire for summers and things. And, you know, I had a lot of mates. We all used to go to the Stonehenge Festival regularly. So, I mean, we were all punks in those days, but uh, all kind of, I suppose, new wave, really, if you want to adopt a, a Rick one, a Rick from the Young Ones kind of approach. But... um yeah, I mean, we knew, we knew a lot of the crusties, you know. We knew a lot of them because they used to sell us uh, substances that I can't divulge live on air. But, you know, so we knew them and, and they got the shit kicked out of them. And it was the reason was because they sent all the police down from Orgreave and places like this because right. it was the miners' strike. So basically yeah. the police had, like, sharpened up their act by getting the shit kicked out of them by, you know, tough northern miners. Yeah, and they were like they were battle hardened, and they just they they had that they you know what they say when when a when a dog you know or or an animal uh, you know uh, you know bites a human it gets the taste of blood, 
mm. you know, and it wants to bite more humans. Well, that's what the, the police were like in those days. And I'm wondering if there's something yeah. going on with that. Uh, well, yeah, I, I think you're probably right, to be honest. I think it all came together at, at that around that time, didn't it? And the, the whole Orgreave thing um, was another case, actually, of them thinking that they were the army and thinking that they were a bit more than they actually were. You know, they thought they... They, well, let's face it, they were hiding behind their uniforms and, and, and their weapons and, 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 you know, they got taught a lesson because, like you say, these hard northern miners weren't going to be bullied. Um, and that's what they were doing. They were, they were bullying and ridiculing these guys. And um, without wanting to get too political, you know, these were people who were fighting for their lives and livelihoods and their families' livelihoods and, and such like. But these people were up there, you know, rubbing their noses in it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think you're right. I think it, it was, it was to, it was a product of the time. There was a lot of that going on, but I have to say nothing would ever excuse the behaviour of the Sunderland police that night. I mean, I, I just would never in, in a million years thought I would have seen some of that stuff that I saw that night. And I have to say also South Yorkshire police in the previous round in, in the full draw up at um, Sheffield Wednesday, they were, they were bullies as well. They were going out looking for trouble, throwing people into vans for no reason, like literally literally picking people up off the street and chucking them into vans you know unnecessary people who were just minding their own business it could have been any of us they didn't care um but yeah that was the place at that time i'm not i'm not sure that they've overly changed over the years but well you could uh, you could you could make a strong case to say we're we're back to where we were right now and i think what you're talking about is is effectively the militarization of the police or used 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 as a government arm and uh, that was exactly what was happening in 84 with the miners' strike. They were used as an arm of the government, almost like a paramilitary force it became. Anyway, Definitely. as Ben Elton said, that's enough of politics. Um, right, so uh, back to the football. Favourite modern and favourite, well, favourite modern stroke current players? Right, so the modern ones, so if we go sort of, modern for me is probably any, anything from about 1975. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll count Rude Hullett and Zola. As modern, yeah, I would. Um, obviously, they were they were great players. Um, then you got the, the spine of that fantastic um, Jose Mourinho team, or Jose Mourinho onwards team. So you got that spine of uh, Czech, Terry, Lampard, Drogba, fantastic, absolutely amazing. And obviously, Ashley Cole as well. But just picking out that spine um, of the current bunch. Um, I think Kante, he's, you know, he may or may not get back to the uh, standard he was at a couple of years ago, but he has been a fantastic player and appears to be an absolutely fantastic man as well. He's absolutely lovely. Um, so he's, he's somebody I'm proud to to say we have on our team. I also think Kai Havertz has got a, a fantastic future ahead of him. Um, I know that he's, he's inconsistent at the moment, but somebody eventually will make him consistent. And I hope it's, it happens at Chelsea because I think he's going to be world-class. Um, and I have to say that Eden Hazard is the best player I've seen at Chelsea, in my opinion. People will, will disagree. And I have to be careful because any time I've mentioned that on Twitter, it gets into this big argument of people telling me I'm wrong and, and all the rest of it. It's just an opinion. But I mean, sorry, <laughs> sorry. Jorginho can't, you know, hold a candle to Eden Hazard. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be honest, if we, if we were... If we were rating players in two-yard passes, it would be straight straight <laughs> thing between Jorginho and Makaleli, wouldn't it? But Makaleli knew that was that was you know his role, yeah, that's a very <laughs> um, good and, point. And, we, and we loved him for it. He did a great job. But no, no. In all honesty, though, I, I um, 
I know people say Zola's the best. I, I personally have a one, two, three of Hazard, Pullet, and then Zola. Um, um, Hazard did things for Chelsea that I've never seen any of the others do on a consistent basis. And, and you know, there's an argument that he, he almost won us some trophies on his own. Uh, certainly the um, the Sarri season, people can go on about Mauricio Sarri as much as they want, to be honest. He, I, I'm, I'm fairly sort of uh, ambivalent about it. I don't, don't have strong feelings one way or the other, but I certainly think that Eden Hazard pulled that team through that season. Um, he, he, he stepped up and, you know, we, I don't think we'd have won uh, anything that season with, without Hazard. Uh, he's the best I've seen at Chelsea, in my opinion. You're not going to get any argument from me about that at all. And it, But it, it, it does appear very, very tough to say, but actually, when it boils down to it, it's not. Hazard was just absolutely... Off the, off the scale. I mean, like you said, he won games on his own. He could do things I've never seen anybody else do. Zola gets close for that. I've got yeah. to be honest. The, the, the amount of yeah. skill he had. But you just look at the trophies and the consistency, actually, of Hazard, to be honest. I mean, he had one duff season when they all down tools. But other than that, yeah. he was nearly always our best player. Absolutely world-class and, and delivered. And delivered in, in performances, in goals and in trophies. It's it's an easy it's an easy call for me, mate. Totally agree with that. Now yeah. this this is I think I know the answer to this, but on the other hand, I'm not entirely sure. Your all-time Chelsea hero, the good Lord Joey Jones. Yeah, Joey Joey will always be my hero. Um, he was my hero as a player, um, just because of the way he used to behave on the pitch. Um, you know the way he used to get the fans going. Um, yeah, we'd have, we'd have gone down in 82, 83 if we hadn't signed Joey Jones. We would have gone down. Um, and we could, I'm not saying we would have gone out of business, we could have gone out of business if we'd have gone down then because of the the, um, the finances at the time. But I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that even if we hadn't gone out of business, there's every chance we wouldn't have got back got to the standard that we, we have reached had we gone down then because we'd have been in a, a real bad way for a long time, I think. As it was, we stayed up. Batesy found half a million and um, everything has changed since then. We've, we've been a, a decent club ever since, really, um, albeit we hadn't always win, been winning trophies. But but we would have gone down if we hadn't signed Joey. He he, he didn't keep us up on his own, but he galvanised the club and he got some of the players who were sort of wavering a little bit. He got them on side and, um, and he, and he, and he um, raised the fans as well. Um, and obviously, I mean, he's a, he was a hero to me as a player. He's become a, a good friend, um, but I've the admiration I have for him, for him goes beyond just what he did on on the football pitch. It's, it's the fact that you know he he nearly died in his forties, um, and he had an operation which literally did save his life. Um, and that since I got to know him, I've always found it amazing that he is so un touched by that experience that he just has got on with things um it's just a laugh he's just so much fun he's just so nice he is a really really nice bloke um so i've loved a fair bit of admiration um for for him on top of like what he did as a as a footballer and what he did for chelsea more you know more to the point um he's just a lovely lovely man he always came across like that, I, you know, and I, I'm delighted that you chose him. And 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 I don't know why. I, I think I, I think I thought you were going to choose Mickey. Mickey's um, Mickey knows that Joey's my my numero uno and was from that team. 
from so even from that time when I was supporting them. So I had quite a few heroes. I loved Pat Nevin. Always loved Johnny Bumstead. Always yeah, loved yeah. the fact that Johnny Bumstead put his foot in and, and you know, really liked Eddie. Um, but and, and obviously Kerry, because he was scoring all the goals. But Joey was my number one. He was the one who I looked for when they came out on the pitch. And I always wanted Mickey to sign for Chelsea. Um, he was he was somebody, and I, I wrote that in Celery, even as a kid, when I was watched him play for Man United, and like you know, you saw the stories about him and like the cheeky wink when he got when he when he dived for a decision at, at um, I think it was at White Hart Lane playing for United, and and then the other little stories about him. That, and I always thought he was just made for Chelsea, so I was really pleased when we signed him. And he is a good friend, but Joey was already before I knew either of them personally. Joey was already my number one. He was already my out and out hero. So um, probably see them e equal as friends. Um, but Joey is my all-time yeah. Chelsea hero. And it, it's lovely when you, when you, I mean, you know, we're, we're both lucky enough to have met a lot of the people who, who were our Chelsea heroes. And it's, it's lovely when they turn out to be even better than you thought they were. And I think, yeah. I think both Joey and Mickey, you can absolutely say that about. So there you go. Right. Final question, uh, Kelvin. Uh, we, you know, we like songs on the Chelsea fan cast. Yeah. Uh, so I have to ask my, my guest what their favorite Chelsea song of all time is. Right. Well, you know, it's, it's always going to go back to the eighties for me. So, and, and, and the one that reminds me so much of that 83-84 season is We Love You Chelsea, We Do. Um, it used to get sung loads. And if you look back at that Man City game, um, it gets a right good air in that night at, um, on the Friday night at Main Road. Um, and it occasionally still gets sung at the bridge. And it's one that I do join. I probably don't join in quite as much as I once did. I certainly haven't lost my voice at Chelsea for a long time. But I joined in with that one. Mm. I always make a point of joining in with that. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? I mean, my, my one of my favourites is still Chelsea, Chelsea, Chelsea. Yeah. Because for the oh. same reason as you, actually, because my, one of my favourite seasons is the promotion season in, uh, I think it was 88, 89, wasn't it? And, mm, yeah. and I, I, I went to quite a few games that season because I was, I was living in Lots Road at the time. And uh, even if I didn't go, you could, I mean, I, I remember not going to a game and I'd just be wandering up to a pub or something in the North End Road. And you could hear it for almost a half. I mean, it was just, you know, and it's always, always, it gives me goosebumps in the same way as I think we love you, Chelsea. We do gives you goosebumps probably for the same reason. So it's kind yeah. of bizarre, but there you go. You, a, you know what, Chidge, with that Chelsea, Chelsea, Chelsea chant, right? They, um, other, some fans of other clubs, they dig us out about they it. They hate it. They hate it. But uh, do they really, or do they actually admire us for it? Do they actually quietly think the way they get that going for like a whole bloody half, like you said? I think on the quiet, they actually think it's quite impressive because, you know, it, it is quite impressive. Oh, of course it is. And they hate it because because they're envious and it's effective. And what they yeah. say is, oh, yeah, Chelsea, they've only got one song and it's only got one word. You know, it's, it's yeah. that's kind of a very Scouse thing to say, obviously. But <laughs> it's... You know, um, it, it look, that's the other, you're, you're absolutely right. And that's one of the other reasons why I've always loved that song, because it fucks people off. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's that exactly. simple, really, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> and that is the whole point of the songs, isn't it? Um, but what a lovely way to finish, Kelv. Uh, I have to say, it's uh, it's always a pleasure. It's always a pleasure talking to you on these kind of things. And it, I, it, lovely to kind of just delve a little bit deeper on a lot of it as well, because you've got such a, a memory bank of, of great knowledge there as well. I mean, I should say, you know, apart from being a, a dear mate and all the rest of it, you're a fine author and you've written some absolutely classic Chelsea books, Celery representing 
Chelsea in the 80s, obviously the seminal book. Uh, Chelsea here, Chelsea there, you were involved with. Um, there's another one, isn't there? They're kind of uh, making history and, re- and yeah. not reliving it. You were involved with the Eddie Mack book you were involved with. Yeah. Uh, now I'm 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 struggling a bit here, but I know you've got the... Chelsea here, Chelsea there. Chelsea, there we go. Fancy forgetting yeah, that. Yeah. I mentioned that earlier, and of course, did, ta- yeah. Tales from the Shed, and of course, you've got the new book out, which is Days I've Remembered All My Life, which is only just come out. Which is I interviewed you about the other week, but that's an absolute belter as well. So, people, go and buy Kelvin's books because you'll be doing yourself a great service if you do. Do you want to have a final point? I haven't given you a plug. Where can you get them from, Kelv? That's probably a good good, good um, question to so, ask. They, they can be bought from uh, Marco's uh, Gate 17 website, which is uh, www.gate17books.co.uk. Um, and they can be bought on Amazon. And once the season restarts, they can be bought on the um, CFC UK bookstall opposite the main entrance to Fulham Broadway tube station. Mm, excellent stuff. Well, yeah, make sure you do that, people. And uh, having just uh, invested in, uh, you know, in actually it's my my it's my twentieth anniversary this year of sitting in gate seventeen. So I've just, just forked well out a bloody fortune for that again. So hopefully I'll see you at a game sometime soon. You got any plans for coming down soon? I'm actually going away. I didn't even realise the season was starting so early. I'm so out of touch these days. I keep I keep doing this, but um, I'm going away the second weekend of the. Of the season, so I think Spurs at home um, no. is the day go on holiday as it stands. If it's on the Saturday, if it's on the Sunday, I'll get to see it. Right, I'm going to be in Mexico, so I'll have to get up early. Yeah, um, if it's the early kickoff, but that's what I'll do. Um, but hopefully from September onwards, I'll, I'll be at a few games. I didn't get to too many last year because of the whole coronavirus thing. Um, but I'm feeling a bit more confident about getting back now. So hopefully from September onwards, I'll, I'll uh, see you all a bit yeah. more frequently well give us a shout when you come into a game we'll, we'll hook up at the stall or something but other than nice. all that kelv it's again been just brilliant to talk to you i've really enjoyed you know sharing your, your chelsea with me and i'm sure the listeners will love it too so until we speak again it's been brilliant thanks mate thank you very much cheers It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.